0: bernstein lawrence holmes middays 10 to 2 on 670 the score and 670 the in odyssey station well we retained 12 guys we added uh, andre drummond uh, Goran goren bragic and uh dale terry as a as a rookie so a lot of the same guys and we tried to build the chemistry okay What end? That's
1: one of the rare times we hear from Arturus Kardashovas, the executive VP of the Chicago Bulls. Presumably, we'll hear from him Thursday night or Friday at the conclusion of this year's trade deadline. But one thing that we're hopeful to get, whatever decisions the Bulls make, is a little bit of clarity and not hiding behind the injury to Lonzo Ball. Just understanding for what are we rooting? What are we what are we talking about? What are what are what are we in this for? Give me a little bit of guidance because it feels the the Bulls experience feels a little bit disconnected.
2: Do you think that on Thursday we'll at least have the answer of what it is that we're rooting for? Because, I don't know. Because I don't feel like we will. I I think that they think that they're not far away from being in contention. Maybe I'm wrong on that, and I'd be totally okay with being wrong on that. They're not really, so far, and there's still a couple days to go, 2 p.m. on Thursday is the trade deadline, on what it is they're trying to accomplish. Like, does it matter to Michael Reinsdorf that this team make the playoffs this year, knowing that they're
1: not going anywhere? I don't know. I previously ownership always liked the home playoff games like the extra dollars that were brought in for home playoff games so i think you'd rather make the playoffs than not but not if you but not if you don't have any real hope of winning a title right nor do you have any real hope of getting victor wemenyama so you're stuck in the middle you're really stuck in the middle and it's it's hard like you 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 watch the games and they can play some really exciting interesting ball and The broadcasts are terrific. The game experience is phenomenal. Going to a Bulls game, everything that surrounds it, it's still big-time NBA basketball. But when you're making an overall investment in your team, you just want to see that there is incremental progress towards something other than a night-in, night-out entertainment product. I guess when I go back to the beginning of the
2: season, I was excited to see what would happen next, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of maxing Zach Levine, I wanted to see what they were going to be and what they've been. Like, as we've gone, what, we're at the 50 game, 52 games, right, 25 and 27, 30 games left to go in the season. For the Bulls, they've been the team that they've been since January of 2022. The outlier was October to December of 2022. Or twenty twenty one, like that. That was the outlier. We know their coach knows that. Yeah,
1: Billy, Billy Donovan has said it consistently. Even when it was happening, he said this isn't sustainable. That we're winning a lot of these these games that could come down to a coin flip. And then this year they lost a lot of those games. They got screwed right. by some officials. They've had
2: bad closeout performances in games. Yep, they've hurt themselves. Turnovers, missed assignments, guys not running the play that is called in the huddle, and then being like, what happened? Well, what happened is you didn't run the play. Or you didn't know what the scoring situation dictated. Right. So when I turn on, well, I'll be there. I'll be at the United Center tonight. Are you doing the thing? Yeah, I'm doing the the little 6 o'clock show. I think Darnell Mayberry is going to come and awesome. sit and hang out with me for the first segment of that show, and we'll talk about his new sub stack that he's got going on. Um, it, it's It's weird because... When you see people in the stands, and I've done, what, four of these? This will be my fourth show that I'm doing from the UC before a Bulls game. And people are still excited. And you're right. That product is still tremendous. Like You still get the goosebumps when you go into the United Center. And it's NBA basketball, even if it's sometimes bad NBA basketball. But at the end of it, you're just sitting there like, what's the objective? Like, What is the overall objective of this season? And can that objective still be met? Or was that objective contingent upon Lonzo Ball being with this team and everything that's happened to them since can be connected to that? Is is the C-suite over at the United Center, are they sitting there going, this all would have worked if Lonzo would have been or stayed healthy? And if they did say that, I've got a problem with it because – you know what Lonzo Ball doesn't do or hasn't proven throughout his career? That he can't stay healthy. So if if he is the linchpin to everything that you designed, with Zach ascending up as a, a young, talented, explosive player, and then he gets hurt, with DeMar being the kind of steady scorer and you needing Lonzo to be like the tip of the spear on defense, along with Alex Caruso, on all, in all the, on the ball situations. I get how it can impact you, but I don't know how anyone, and they have more information than we do on Lonzo, but maybe, maybe not much more information than we do on Lonzo. I don't know how you can look at the last two years and say, we've got something going here. That guy might not play basketball again.
1: And last year, when things petered out the way that they did and they hit their ceiling hard. Real hard. Hard. They lick their wounds, and they say, well, we the way this team is constructed, we got to protect the rim better, and we need more depth shooting. We need more guys that can space the floor, more guys that need to be covered. And they didn't get any of it. Nope. That, that's what was just really weird for me. And in the draft, granted, it's not the, the highest pick, and they take a guy who's just a collection of traits who's a long way away from being a successful NBA player. But I get that they, there's their development is important to them. So get on with it, get to developing, but to, to, for everyone to know what they needed and then have those needs go completely unaddressed was really unsatisfying to me. It was disappointing. It was really disappointing when, when you know what you need, you say what you need, and everybody else looking around says, you know, if they had this, they might be all right. If they have this they might be all right. You throw in a, a couple two-way players and some th- you know some th- guys who are three-point threats. Yeah, 3 and D guys. I mean, they did try a
2: little bit with the point guard thing where you bring in Dragic. Yeah, but, but that's that's, you know, a 20-minute guy. Who, who doesn't guard? He does not guard. I mean, it's a it's a 36-year-old slow guy. It's really interesting too because when I watch Dragic and Drummond, I go, "Oh my god, like those two guys games are meant for each other. But it's the same issue with DeMar, where it's like, sure, their games are meant for each other in an NBA that
1: doesn't really exist anymore. That's what I'm saying. Drummond is a great guy to have if you're trying to win the the, the 2013 NBA title. They did the same thing with Ben Wallace, remember? Mm Mm-hmm. When you you watch him, you're like, oh, he doesn't do stuff. He does no, he does yeah. stuff, but it's it's very
2: it's a very limited skill set. He's gonna defend the basket, he's going to rebound. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And it wins you defensive player of the year and all that good stuff. But I guess maybe that's my biggest disappointment, Dan, is that this is supposed to be a forward thinking front office, and they seem stuck. In the type of team that they're building. And I wonder if they know it. Like they've got a collection of players that I think are good, but they're not modern and they don't really fit into what it is that that the other teams around the NBA are trying to do. Obviously, like we like Dragic as a backup point guard, but only on a specific type of team. We like Drummond as a backup big, but only Kinda. But only on a specific type Kinda, of team.
1: He's a backup big who well, doesn't defend the rim. But he does and, rebound. And you can get him into foul trouble.
2: So so think about it like this. If you had Andre Drummond as the second or third big on the Warriors, where in some of those third quarter, fourth quarter situations, mm-hmm. where you need a little bit of beef and you're trying to get extra shots for Clay and Steph, that might be able to work in, in a spasm
1: of – 12 minutes. I'd love to see him in shape. I would love to see him without all that extra belly weight that yeah. he's carrying. That, the, all that stuff on the front of his body that didn't used to be there.
2: They're the Isle of misfit toys. Cause you can make an argument that almost all of these players have something about their game that you like or something about the guy that you like, but none of the pieces fit. And, it, and if you now have a bigger sample size of them being mid Versus them being good. And the the sample size is double the size of them being good. So here you are, the trade deadline, and and you've got to kind of choose a direction. And I'm not sure that the the Bulls are in a position where they're going to admit that the direction that they chose was littered with landmines. And now they have to figure out another way to go about doing this.
1: Where is the 331 area code? I don't know, you know, because I I think they've got a problem with their news uh, availability there. Here, let me look. Because the texter says Kyrie Irving is demanding a trade. Is there any chance or interest on the Bulls' part to bring him over? Three three one is DuPage County. Oh, all right. Well, there we we need, might have to do an intervention. He's yeah. already been traded, sir. Yes, he's on the Mavericks, and I'm glad the Bulls had absolutely no interest, because I would want no part of following a team. That has that where Kyrie Irving's wearing the uniform
2: are you upset that they even kicked the tires on him
1: I don't know that they did okay I don't know that they did I'm I I just I didn't I, I really didn't think that it would be that Mark Cuban would be the guy who says yeah I want this guy on my team very strange
2: I don't I've been trying to think like I guess it works because down there in Dallas because it takes some of the offensive pressure off Luca. And- yeah, I
1: get it. it. It's really he's from a basketball perspective. He can be the ideal fit just because he can he can take a, the, some of the scoring pressure off Luca. He doesn't. He can have the ball, but he doesn't have to have the ball because he also can catch and shoot. Luca's a weird player to fit around, right? Because and so, he's, is,
2: so is Kyrie. Like Kyrie's got some universal adapter qualities to his game, but the problem is, is that you. As good as he is, you just can't count on him. Like, from from either perspective, if we're talking about, are you available tonight? Nope, my calf
1: hurts. Or, or whatever the next problem right. is going to be. Or, just, or I'm walking around with Sage on the court the, to get the, rid of the bad spirit. But that's just silly stuff. It's the other stuff. It's when he chooses to just be an asshat. With everything else, I mean, the stuff that they posting is it's, it's right just now, Even now, the people he's posting on social media the, he is he is adjacent to so much really bad stuff, wacky dude, really crazy stuff. Like, he's just dumb and
2: weird. He's a very weird dude, and it, it's 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 so analogous to me to the Kanye stuff, yes, because he's a basketball virtuoso same way that Kanye is a music virtuoso. And I just go, is it worth it? And I don't, I, it would be hard for me to, to, if you're Dallas, you're not, that move is a good move from a basketball. If we're strictly X and O's, it's a good move. It's not enough of a move to make you a championship contender, even with a guy that'll probably finish second or third in MVP voting this year. It's, it's not enough. So what do you end up gaining out of it? And I guess that's kind of where I'm at with the Bulls, where if you if you keep pushing the idea of man, we're just trying to make it so that we're in the top seven or the top six of the the NBA, so that we don't have to be in the play-in. All right, congratulations. Guess who you get again? Milwaukee, and you and you're not going to beat them in a series, and you're stuck, and you're going to be stuck. Maybe they, maybe they look at the East and go, well, this the East is falling apart. And and, and there's going to be opportunities. Meanwhile, you don't have any draft picks. You don't have any draft picks. And inside your own division, you've already been passed by at least one of the teams. The other team is hurt and might end up with Victor Wiminyama at the end of
1: this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But even with their young talent before it got hurt, you were already in trouble. You don't really have that. Like, when I, I look at the Bulls, I, I don't see Kay Cunningham on this team. And isn't development one of, supposed to be one of the things that Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnashovis, that's what they're supposed to do well? I don't see Evan Mobley either. I, you definitely don't see Evan Mobley. So what are you doing? And there's no Giannis. And there's no Drew Holiday.
1: Mark Schanowski will give us his thoughts on all this when we come back on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10-2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. This ball game is
0: over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. 129-121. Time to dance, and let's get it down and dirty. It is a fantastic win for the Bulls. I mean,
2: the idea of Chuck dancing to some old dirty bastard is, uh, shame on you.
1: I love it. (laughs) Brooklyn. Oi. We're talking Bulls, so <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's bring in someone to do that with us, shall we? Mark Schinowski is on Twitter at Mark Schinowski, anchor reporter for ABC7, play-by-play announcer for the Windy City Bulls on NBC Sports Chicago, and the co-host of the popular Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacy King. And he joins us on the SCORE hotline that is brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hey, Mark, how are you?
0: I just am trying to get the image out of my mind of Chuck playing the lead role as of, of Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing. I mean that image is just in my head now. I gotta get that out. Or, Nobody puts baby in the
2: corner. Or ghost. Um <laughs> either way it probably works for for Chuck. Mark, Dan and I were having a conversation earlier and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. We were discussing like player empowerment and these guys Harden, Kyrie, LeBron, KD, that have made their choices, and it looks like they've made terrible choices.
0: And, and, <laughs> and, and
2: I'm wondering, how can those guys do a better job of finding partners in ownership in front office and not just people who are willing to do whatever it is they want? Because it doesn't seem like any of them is getting what they expected they would get.
0: Well, it seems like most of these superstars want to prove that they can win a championship on their own merits, that they're going to be the alpha dog in a title run. And I think that Kevin Durant was so tired of the criticism that he got for just jumping on the Golden State Warriors bandwagon and winning a couple of easy titles that were basically considered, you know, almost layups for that franchise, that he wanted to go out on his own and prove that he could do it and and show that he's one of the greatest players of all time. Unfortunately, he hitched his wagon to his buddy, Kyrie Irving, who was one of the most, uh, you know, unpredictable players you'd ever want to see in any kind of sport, and that's turned out to be a disaster. I mean, we all know the the numbers. They've only won one playoff series in the time they've been together. Kyrie's missed a ton of games, and Durant is left kind of holding the bag trying to explain what's going on with his buddy, and you know, then he had his trade demand this past summer. It's, it's just been a mess in Brooklyn. I think what it comes down to, in most cases, is ego, because money is the same anywhere you go. I mean, the superstar players are going to get the the four- or five-year max, uh, the most money any franchise can give them. They just have to pick a situation where they're, they're comfortable with the front office, the coaching staff, and their and their future teammates. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, in a lot of those instances, they've made the wrong choices.
1: At least in those situations, the fans know what, what the expectations are, what they're rooting for. If the fans are lucky enough to be a destination for one of these these superstar plots, then, yeah, then you're, you're, they're trying to win a title. Everybody wants to win a title. It's hard for a Bulls fan right now to figure out exactly what we're cheering for every night. I know I'm I'm struggling with it. Maybe I'm just projecting a little bit because I I mean it's it's really it's entertaining and it's interesting and there's all stuff to talk about and sorts of stuff to watch. But I'm I'm hopeful that one way or another by Thursday that our tourist can offer us some kind of clarity to that end. What are our expectations? What's the timeline?
0: What are we cheering for right now? Well, it's funny. It's one of the things that Stacy and I talked about on our podcast was how things have changed now. The mentality of most fan bases are you're either a contender for the championship or blow it up and start over. Get draft picks and, you know, we'll just lose for three or four years in a row. And, and I, you know, that mentality kind of bothers me. I remember growing up in Milwaukee uh, uh, in the 80s, the Bucks had great teams. You know, they had Marcus Johnson and, and junior, junior Bridgman and Sidney Moncrief. Moncrief. And 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 you know year after year they'd have great seasons they'd win fifty plus games under Don Nelson and they would lose to the Celtics or the Sixers in the playoffs it was just you knew that going into the season but yet there was so much fun along the way in watching those teams score a lot of points and, and play really exciting basketball that you know you still felt when the season was over that it was it was a good season now it's like if, if you don't if you're not in the contention for the ring it's a failure and I think that that really is is a bad thing for a lot of fan bases I know that. A lot of the comments I get on Twitter every time the Bulls lose is blow it up, trade everybody, and it's not as simple as that. You know, in, in the salary cap era, you just can't start over, especially when you have as little draft capital as the Bulls do. So I think that, you know, from from my perspective, I enjoy watching the games every night, and and I'm looking at it that let's see what they can do. You know, there are three games out of six right now. I know they haven't put together a meaningful winning streak, so it's hard to project them moving way up the standings, but. You know, they've won six out of their last ten. They're playing better basketball. Um, for the most part, they're healthy. And, you know, you'd like to see if they can make a run over these last 30 games.
2: They are. Like, I, I don't want to discount what you're saying because it's true. But if we look at the bigger sample size, like, this team since January of last year has kind of been this. Like, where, like, they they, they do have enough talent that on some nights they can beat some of the best teams in the NBA but they still struggle with closing out games. They still struggle with understanding who's doing what at the end of the games. And I was expecting even without Lonzo that some of that stuff would have been rectified by now.
0: No, I think that's been, you know, uh, an easy excuse that we don't have Lonzo ball. And I think it's, it's been such a long period over a year now that that shouldn't even be mentioned. And to Billy Donovan's credit, you know, he, he quickly shuts down all the Lonzo talk, whenever he's asked about it. The problems obviously go deeper than that. And that's why, you know, some of the rumors we've been seeing around the NBA is the Bulls are looking for guard help, that they don't like their point guard situation, and they know that most likely Lonzo Ball is not going to play this season. So they could, they could make a trade to try to bring in a point guard, which would be kind of strange considering it's a guard-heavy roster. But I know that Arturus thinks they, they still can be competitive in the Eastern Conference if he has the right guy running the point. But, I mean, if you're, let's say you try to get a Fred Van Vliet or, or even, even a Chris Paul that might be available from Phoenix – what are you going to give up to try to get one of those players? I mean, and then then you know if Lonzo comes back next year, then you've got a you've got a strange looking uh, backcourt. So uh, there's no easy solutions for our in this. And I think that you know he told us when he was introduced as the new president of basketball operations that he's one of the most patient guys you'll ever want to see. He preached continuity at the start of the season. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna blow it up uh, by Thursday.
1: I was hopeful for more development by this point. We knew that the model in Toronto under Eversley was making a guy like Van Vliet that you mentioned, making a guy like Pascal Siakam. And the same thing happened with players in Denver, that they they, they found talent and molded it. Who are, the, who are the developmental candidates that are anywhere on the Bulls roster? You see the Windy City guys all the time. But I don't know that there's anybody there who you would say, uh-huh, you know, real, you're real sleeper. You start envisioning down the line potential NBA stardom for one of these guys. Where, where is that occurring here so far?
0: Yeah, it's been tough, and, and I know that when you look back over the Bulls' history since Tom Thibodeau left, you know they went with uh, with the plan of, of blowing it up and trying to go young. And you see Lowry, Markin, and now being an All Star in Utah, and you go, boy, they really failed that guy because you know, that seven feet tall who can shoot it like he can and has some athleticism, that's a guy that you want to build around. Unfortunately, you know, he was hurt a lot of the time here. He didn't get the best coaching a lot of the time here. And he's, beat, he's blossomed at 25 into an all-star in Utah uh, that you traded Wendell Carter in the Vooch deal. I was okay with that. I, I think Wendell Carter's a nice NBA player. I don't think he's ever going to be a star. But, you know, in terms of the current roster, Patrick Williams is the guy. I mean, he's really the only guy there that you think could be something special. You know, 6'7", 230, you know, he can explode uh, off the court to dunk the ball. He can he can run the floor. He can block shots. He's got all the physical traits, but you don't know if he's got that want to inside to become a really great player. I think Ayo DeSumo still has some development in there. I think if he can start shooting the three ball with more consistency, he can be a, a really, really good NBA point guard. But after that, you know, there's, there's you know, their roster is pretty established in terms of having a lot of veteran players who pretty much are what they are at this point. Okay, so that brings me
2: to the other point, Mark, where I agree with you about those are guys that you're looking to develop. But I'm concerned that because you have two guys that are super ball dominant in Zach and DeMar and another guy who's ball needy in Vooch, can can P-Will and Io and Kobe White get enough shots or opportunities that they can develop to figure out what they are?
0: Well, that's been the problem so far, and I think Billy Donovan has tried to juggle his rotations in terms of trying to figure out how to best feature those guys. He had that brief run where he put Javante Green in the starting lineup yeah. and tried to bring Patrick Williams off the bench so he could get more shots, but Patrick you know, didn't really show the aggressiveness he thought he would see with the second unit, and then Javante Green got hurt again, and so he's, he's been out for quite a while now. I, I just think that with Patrick Williams, his teammates, I mean, there was that sequence in a game recently where Zach, Drew a pass to Patrick Williams in the corner, and then Williams moved along, and you could hear Zach on the TV broadcast yelling at him to shoot it. So, I mean, even his teammates are trying to pull that out of him. They know that they've got a guy that at uh, 21 years old can be really special, and he just has not shown at this point that he has that aggressive mentality to really become a force on the offensive end. But you know, Zach. And, DeMar, sometimes, you know, it turns into your turn, my turn offense. I know that's not what Billy Donovan wants, but the coaching staff has not been able to get this free-flowing kind of uh, offense that he envisioned at the start of training camp. You know, they talked a lot about, you know, they were going to be more random in their their play selection, and it wasn't just going to be, you know, isolation, pick and roll, uh, shot clock running down, DeMar tries to work his guy for a 15-foot jumper. But, unfortunately, when it gets to the fourth quarter in a close game, that's pretty much what we see on most nights.
1: My podcast partner on organizations win championships made an interesting observation, I thought, regarding the Portland game. And his theory is that teams do the Bulls a favor by doubling DeMar in that then your ball movement is forced. Everything that when they get stagnant, it's generally because the ball stops. And when DeMar is doubled, he's got to get it out of there. So I was wondering, and maybe I don't have the facility of the wherewithal to do this. Maybe some uh, the number of times a possession that has a doubled Demar Rosen Demar Rosen ends with a Bulls three point attempt, which they don't get enough of, frankly. And I, I just thought it kind of played into their hands to say, all right, we're going to take the ball out of his hands. Well, that means the ball is going to move. That means it does start to pop a little bit. And I just think they're they're harder to guard. So it'll be interesting to see if Greg Popovich uh, tries to do the same. I I, I doubt that he will. You know, assess the validity of that scouting.
0: Well, first of all, I found it kind of odd you called your son your podcast partner, but that's cool. Uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's very good on the podcast, and I encourage everybody to check it out. Thanks. But, you know, in terms of the DeRozan double teaming, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've talked with Kendall Gill a lot about this is that, you know, DeMar sometimes once he gets that ball in that area, he doesn't even see the rest of the court. I mean, he's just focused in on trying to get the shot up and get to the free throw line. And I think that's one of the things that, that Billy's trying to get out of his game, but you know, he's in his 14th year, he's not changing anytime soon. When, when they get the ball into DeMar in the mid post, he is, he's looking, you know, to back his guy in and, and hopefully score or draw the foul. And, yes, there should be a shooter on either wing who is wide open. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's up to DeMar to see that guy and make that pass. He does that at times. And in the games that they win, yeah, they're doing that more often. And a lot of times also, in, in when the offense looks good, it's because they're getting the ball into Vooch at the free throw line or in the low post, and he's kicking it out to an open three-point shooter. In the game against Portland, they had 32 assists on 48 field goals, and they shot 60% from the field. So there's no, you know – that's no coincidence. When the ball's moving and they're finding open shooters, their shooting percentage is going to be a lot higher. And it's all about, you know, working the ball through Booch and then making Demar a more willing passer when he gets the ball around the elbow.
1: Do you know why Billy is so reticent to coach Demar? Like I thought the whole idea of floating that thing like, you know, Billy got a contract extension. All right, okay. DeMar's a pro, like you say. I mean, I don't think they're going to radically change his game, but it frustrates me, Mark, where after the fact, I know Billy saw the same thing we did. I know it. He is a really smart basketball guy, and he'll say, yeah. he'll say, the ball stuck, and we stopped. We got stagnant again, and we started taking turns. Call a timeout. When you see it, we all see it start to happen, and we know when I'm, we're when we texting in the group chat. It's happening again, but Billy knows it's happening. Say, hey, DeMar, No. Stop doing that. I know you want to get yours, but right now, everything was going great. Let's keep it going great.
0: Yeah, we see it around the NBA. So many coaches just defer to their star players in critical situations. On a neat possession, they just give the ball to the superstar and everybody else gets out of the way and watches. And that's one of the things that really can be infuriating about the NBA game, that in the last three or four minutes of a tight game, it's just going to be the superstar trying to score or get to the free throw line and everybody else becomes a spectator. And, and Billy, as you mentioned, has referenced the fact that, you know, they can have three quarters of great basketball where they're shooting a high percentage, they're making some threes, everybody's touching the ball, and then all of a sudden it just grinds to a halt. And that's, that's one of the flaws in the pro game. It's just too much superstar dependent, and coaches basically are just handing it over to their stars. They're like, well, I, I got you through 36 minutes, now you bring me home.
2: How would you assess Billy as a coach?
0: I've been, uh, you know, I, I, I like him personally. You know, I, I think that, as, as Dan mentioned, he's a super intelligent guy. He knows the game. But I think, you know, in this instance, it really hasn't worked out, you know, with Zach and DeMar, you know, trying to figure out the best way to take turns being the focal point of the offense and, and, and trying to get enough shots for Vooch. It's just, uh, you know, they're not a fantastic defensive team, and sometimes the offense grinds to a halt and they should be at with their talent base. They should be a lot better in 25 and 27. I don't think there's any question about that.
1: So from here on in, they've got to just, they have until Thursday to, to make a call here. So are you hearing that they, you, you mentioned it, that they're looking to add to try yeah. to find point guard help. Do you think it's, it's out of the question that they're even listening to, to offers on any of the major players that they would possibly lose Vucevic for nothing, or I mean, I I would be actively trying to trade Demar. Nothing against him, but I think getting him out of the way and give letting Zach just say, Zach, there's no doubt. There's no ambiguity. It is You and Vooch can do what you It's your turn, your team, and you allow Patrick Williams a, a lot more touches and a lot more shooting opportunities. But no one's listening to me, Mark. Nobody cares what I think about it. I just I, I think that would be a, a growth move for them. But are, are would, they, would they listen on some of these bigger deals?
0: Well, I think that... The job of the general manager is to is to not only look at that this year but look several years down the road and he has to make a decision in terms of our tourists is what are you gonna do with Vooch? Are you gonna offer Kobe White a contract? And is is it worth cat, cashing in a guy like Alex Caruso now, who is a very team friendly contract and is highly sought after by some of the contending teams around the league. If you could get a first round draft pick for Alex Caruso as well as a, a useful rotation player to match salary, I would make that trade. I mean Alex Caruso is best on a team that can contend for a championship because the things he does don't show up in the box score. You know, he doesn't score. He's a reluctant shooter, but the things he can do on the defensive end are just so valuable to a team that's contending for a championship. So, you know, if you could move him to a team that that, that has a legitimate point guard that they're willing to move, that might be something that you consider. Also with the Vucevic situation, it's been reported by a couple of the beat guys that there really have been no negotiations on a new contract for him and he becomes a free agent at the end of the year. If you're not prepared to offer him a very good contract because that's what he's looking for, then you move, maybe you move him along before Thursday. So I think there are, there are possibilities. I don't anticipate them doing anything major, but if AK really thinks they can be competitive in the East to some degree, maybe he does try to cash in a Vooch, a Caruso, and, and that, that future Portland pick they hold and, and try to bring a, a guy who can run the offense from the point guard spot. Mark, thanks, man.
2: We appreciate the time. Continued success on the podcast, sir.
0: Thank you so much. I always enjoy talking with you guys. That is Mark
1: Schanowsky, who is a busy basketball mind. Windy City Bulls play by play. If you haven't checked out a game, by the way, you're looking for something fun and inexpensive to do. If you got little kids, it's that. that that's a fun night. Going is my on. guy still on the team? Which guy? Javon Freeman, Liberty. Yeah. All right. He's not. He, he doesn't really belong to the Bulls, but he's on that team.
2: Is he out there still scoring twenty a night? Yeah, he's playing great. Go get go get your points, Javon.
1: He's playing great. We got a very footbally final hour of the show with the former general manager of the Saints and the Dolphins, Randy Mueller, at one, and Sean King thereafter. But there was a baseball general manager on these airwaves over the weekend who said some notable things about the White Sox and the Bears. Kind of next
2: here on the score.
1: Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 the Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Happy Monday. Had a nice little string of some nice days here in the dead of winter. Yeah, but we this place, our room keeps so cold. Yeah. It could be 95 outside. It's going to be freezing. In here. Like, I went and got
2: my pullover because I'm like, what's happening? I'm wearing a sweater. And I said I, I put yeah, it up to, it, like, 74 or something. It, it never gets there. It, it got there, and then it was down at, like, 68.
1: And I'm like, how is that a thing? No, seriously, Layla asked people like, to check it. Like, look, there were, there were technicians in here trying to figure out why, no matter how high you set the thermostat, it, it's constantly dumping cold air on you in here. Hmm. Usually, I walk out of here, I can't feel my fingers. Most days. I have two pullovers in my locker,
2: just in case, because of the way that this room reacts. Most days, I can hack it. Today, I was like, "Eh, time to go to the pullover.
1: So, Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager, was on Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw, and it was a wide-ranging conversation that went some places you probably didn't expect because one of the stories that Cashman told involved a meeting with Bears General Manager, Ryan Poles.
3: Flew into Chicago. We had a four game set, you know, with the White Sox. It was a beautiful weekend. And uh, you know, part of my growth and, and on behalf of our organization, our growth is we try to collaborate with other teams. It's really vitally important for us to you know, we recognize we don't have everything everything figured out and and we love to collaborate uh with people within our industry, but outside our industry, whether it's colleges or pro sports. So had the opportunity. Um, one of our staff members had a relationship with Ryan from, from his previous position. Uh, and so I, I was asked early on, would I like to meet with him and, and with a few of my staff members? So yeah, we, we went out and spent the entire day before a night game with the White Sox up there at their facility. And I was blown away by the person, by the intellect and you know, we shared a lot of conversations about experiences and a lot of different things they use in training and, and what we do and data and how you incorporate it and how you go hiring people and kind of tour their facility. And, and I would say, if you're a Bears fan, you should believe that the future is extremely bright. I, they, uh, you know, they got a, a great one in the general manager that they currently have with Ryan. And I know former Big Ten commissioners now they're present. And, uh, I, you know, I, I certainly like what the Bears are doing and and I think there's. Again, there's nothing but a positive in their future, but it was a great experience for us with the Yankees to get to know them better and see the direction they're going. And, and the one thing I would say, is he's not afraid. He's not afraid to make very difficult decisions. And, and that's, you know, that's a true sign of great leadership there.
2: I also think it's a true sign of great leadership is seeking out counsel from people who are doing it, even if they're not doing it necessarily in your sport, finding out, like what are some of the difficulties and Ryan Poles had talked about that. Like I remember in his opening press conference, he had discussed, and I think I I asked Rick Hahn about you know, whether or not he would talk to him and reach out to him. And he said, "Yeah, that was the plan." So obviously, like that happened because Poles is at a White Sox Yankees game. But yeah, I I I want someone who is willing to look around the the landscape and say, "What are some things that I can pick and pull from this?" And sometimes stuff isn't apples to apples when it comes to your job and someone else's job, but you never know like what sparks it. Like, I do this all the time where I'm looking at creative stuff that isn't sports, and I'm going, oh, Dan and I could do something with that. So I like the idea of, of Ryan Pohl sitting there and talking with a bunch of different people.
1: Cashman also was asked about his relationship with Kenny Williams.
3: Kenny and I are, you know, my kids call him Uncle Kenny. You know, he is, you know, just an amazing individual. People in Chicago know his story about, you know, how amazing gifted athlete he was. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about, you know, I think I got uplifted up with the Yankee organization, Sid Drift at the time, I think it was like 89, Sid Drift and Jim Bowden was our general manager and assistant general manager at the time. And I was this low level kid and, and the boss was holding a, a meeting. We were probably taking a beating from some organization at some point. He was, he was fuming mad. And I think we had, you know, an area of weakness uh, on the infield and, and the boss was, pounding the table about acquiring, maybe we should go after that kid from the White Sox. And everybody was stumped at the table. And the more the boss was pounding the table, mentioning this name, but he didn't know the name, the purse, the player, and describing him, nobody at the table was able to come up with who he was talking about. And then finally I was uncomfortable because I was this young kid in this organization sitting at this table in the back. But I felt like I needed to throw a life preserver. So I said, are you talking about Kenny Williams, sir? And then he went nuts on our organizational heads. He said, the kid knows it. You don't know anything. The kid knows what what I'm talking about. And it was Kenny Williams. So it was weird how, you know, Kenny and I somehow gravitated to each other at these GM meetings and then winter meetings and had a lot of, you know, chance to break bread and develop a relationship. And I tell you what, uh, not surprised he delivered a championship there with his crew in Chicago. And, and he's... He and his crew have done an amazing job of rebuilding that franchise to put him in a position to compete again. There's no guarantees, obviously. When you, you know, the best you can do is put together a team that's capable and then and then let it fly and and take your chances. And I think Kenny's done that several times over. And but yes, you have nailed it. Uh, he is one of my dear friends who uh, who I love and and think uh, the world of. So, and uh, I think Jerry Reinsdorf's been very smart not to. Not to let him go anywhere because he's, a, he's been a gem for that White Sox organization for quite some time. I wonder how much longer.
1: I, I think he'll be there as long as that ownership place is yeah, in, is in place. I
2: don't know. Like, may, does he want to keep doing this? We don't know what he does though. He's president or, or anything? right
1: again. It's a White Sox question, so we don't baseball something. We don't know. We have no idea who does what.
2: Senior vice something. Chancellor in charge
0: or? of
1: something. Right. (laughs) At least we know what uh, Randy Mueller used to do. He was GM of the Saints and the Dolphins. Now he's the co-host of the Football GM
0: Podcast. The 2000 NFL Executive of the Year will talk football with us next on The Score.